Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, and I'm here with my friend and co-author, Nancy Saxton-Lopez. And this is a broadcast that we do once a week, Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And then it's available on YouTube and Facebook and as an audio podcast on Anchor and Spotify and a whole bunch of other places. The reason we do this program is that we want to take the information that we gained for years leading pet loss support groups and compiled into our book, The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. We want to take that information and and the opportunity to share and the opportunity to get more engagement questions and comments from people who have gone through this loss to bring all that to a larger audience. And that's what that pr this program is about. So we welcome your participation. We welcome you sending us your thoughts and questions. And if we don't respond to them during this program, then we will certainly make every effort to respond during a future program. Mm -hmm. And so, Nancy, you want to get us started for today? Yeah, I think we were going to talk tonight about um, how to help a friend um, who's grieving for an ill, potentially terminally ill animal. Um, right. And I think you have a question. I think or you somebody had written in something to you, Ken, I believe. We got a request for how to help a friend whose pet yeah. is dying. What do I do, my my friend's pet is dying. I don't know how to respond and how to be supportive. I, I'm, I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's basically the gist of it. Right. But I think that as you and I talked right before going live is I think we need to have a conversation about death and what it means to us. Because if you're going to help somebody else with their they're um, grieving. How do you how do you grieve? How do you deal with somebody else grieving? How do you what do you think about death? Um, so I that is the question before we get into how do you help somebody else? So I don't think anyone likes to talk about death. Yeah. I don't think anyone's happy about the consequences of what will happen to us and our mortality. I don't think any of us are certainly happy about a loved one as our beloved, you know, dogs, cats, other animals that we have that will die potentially before us. And sure. many of them may die before us. So, um, I mean, what, what do you what do you think about, you know, how you grieve? How do you grieve? I mean, cultural issues, religious issues, family issues, experiences growing up. I mean, all of that comes in to play. Yeah. And, and, and how do we tolerate being with somebody and even being with ourselves when we are experiencing profoundly negative feelings? Yes. When we are sad, when we are, when we are feeling like maybe we've done something wrong and we're feeling guilty. Maybe we are just feeling uh, very angry about the, the situation and we have kind of an impotent rage. So that's, we are not generally well equipped to mm -hmm. manage painful feelings. And, and how do we feel in the presence of somebody who is so deeply 
in pain emotionally. And, and, and that is something that we, you know, we're a culture that's pretty much phobic about all of that. Exactly. All of that. We are, we are, we are all about happy. We're all about young and happy. bright and positive. And, and that is not life all the time. And it's certainly not the way things are when we are in the midst of grappling with loss or approaching loss. And so right there, it's important to, to just think about how important it is to just tolerate mm. that sadness, that feeling of helplessness yes. in the face of something that's way outside of our control. That's, that's where we are when we are either grieving ourselves or we are in the company of somebody who is grieving. And so we have to quiet our own distress, our own sense of, I want to do something to fix it, or I, I need to run away and not be anywhere near this kind of feeling. And just try to be present with that kind of distress and, and sit with it and, and realize that simply being a compassionate presence is incredibly valuable, incredibly yes. valuable. Yeah, we, we don't grieve well in our society, particularly in any, and I don't know about other cultures per se, but mm -hmm. if you're Anglo, like Ken, you and I are, um, mm -hmm. you know, you just don't grieve very well. You don't know how to do it. You, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to be around those who are sad for any reason, say nothing about you know, a, a family member's dying, a, a beloved animal's dying. I mean, it's too painful. It also brings back your own stuff, right? And your oh, own experience, yeah. your own, you know, um, grieving that you've done you know, throughout your life. And so to help somebody else, that's what you have to be aware of, you know, correct. You know, you have to be aware of how you want to help them, which means that don't rush to get the Kleenex, don't rush to pat them on the back, because that's just saying, just don't cry. Just, you know, just, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Pull it together. Yeah. I, I want, I want to see you kind of feeling Feel level. Better. Yeah. Feeling better. And I, I, I think, I think one of the hardest things for many of us to do is nothing. Right. <laughs> it's just nothing. It's to just be there, just to be there and listen mm -hmm. and, and, show by your simple presence that you care. And, and again, I think that, that the, one of the hardest parts about doing nothing is managing your own inner distress about trying to do that, about trying to stay calm, engaged, present, caring, focused on the other person, and realizing that you can't fix it. All you can do is be uh, somebody who's witnessing it, somebody who is present, somebody who's hearing and, and is sharing the experience as much as one person can share what another person is experiencing and just being there. And that can be very, very, you know, we're, we're, we're a fix it society. We're like, we want to make it better. We want to move forward. We want to, solve the problem and that doesn't fit with grief it just yeah. it just isn't solvable and we cannot fix it 
And in fact, if we try, we're just going to help that person to feel like we're dismissing or we're not really listening or we're trying to make ourselves feel better. And that's not helpful. No, I remember working in the ER, you know, when we were in the hospital and, you know, if someone's running around saying, have to give that person medication, give her medication, give her medication, that's, you, you need the medication, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. That's what they would say, you need the medication, let that person breathe and be, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think what you're also, you know, what you've started to say is what we're really going to talk about with helping somebody else. Yeah. Um listen right just like you said be there it's active listening right. right looking at them acknowledging what they're saying you know reflecting at times you know just kind of sitting and paying attention to them yeah and let them talk and if they don't just sit there yep yep and and when you say active listening Say, say more about what that looks like because people mean that you, maybe don't know what that means. Right. You're looking at the person. You know, you're, you're paying attention to them. You're acknowledging and listening to what they have to say. If they're just still, you can just be still sitting next to them. If they want to reach out and touch your hand or have some comfort, you can do that. Um, uh, so that it's it's being on their level. It's not standing up. You know, it's really sitting with them and just being, yeah. looking at them, paying attention. You know, acknowledging. Maybe, maybe nodding your head now mm -hmm. and then just to make Listen. it clear that you are engaged, Listen. that you're listening. Maybe saying some things that acknowledge through words what they're saying to you. Like it's so. It's so, so obvious how much you loved or you love your friend, Th those, you know, those kinds of things that are just very simple affirmations and validations. And, yeah. and then just being there, being there. And it's hard work. Mm -hmm. Bereavement is work for clinicians is one of the hardest things you can do. So it's obviously hard for anyone to be able just to sit in pain. It's really hard to sit in someone's pain, but that's yeah. so. You the other things that you could do with people who are grieving and their animals ill is you need to respect how they grieve. You know, right. there there should not be oh you should do this or take or give advice and suggestions. Um, somebody called me and she was grieving for her pet and she said her other therapist had said, well, you got to get out and, and, you know, make a schedule and get some coffee and do this and do that. And she said, what? <laughs> you know, she was, she was yeah. very upset because the person was like, let's get up and go and keep busy. And that's not necessarily obviously what she wanted to do. Right. Right. Yep. So you respect the grieving process. Now you can, as a friend, you could help out. You know, that's what happens with the human style. You know, people bring food, you know, they'll help clean up their house, you know, they'll do errands for that person. Um, you may need to accept their mood swings. They could be really okay, and then they just crash, you know, yep. and, and they cry. Um, and you want to accept 
their decisions. If they want a decision to do something with their animal, you know, do they want to talk about euthanasia? Do they want to talk about just not having them die naturally? Whatever, whatever they want, if that animal is terminal. Um, so it's really staying connected and available, but not too intrusive. Yeah, I mean, you can ask questions. Would would it help to go for a walk? Mm-hmm. Can I get you a glass of water? Would that be helpful? Th- those kinds of things. But you you don't want to be directive the way you were describing that therapist being, because it's going to, again, sound like you're trying to take control, and that's dismissive of how they feel. Mm-hmm. So there's... There's, there are a few rights and wrongs, but there are some, and they are, you know, you don't want to tell them what to do. You don't want to presume that you know better. You don't want to force them toward making decisions they're not ready to make yet. And you don't want to in any way be judgmental of what what they're feeling. And all, it's all about validating. It's all about being a compassionate presence. Right. Um, now, in that in that sense, you also want to be careful about yourself. You know, some people going through this could be very needy, and that's how they may be kind of connecting up to you. And if you need a break, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can you can go about you know whatever you need to do, but you still stay connected to the person, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, and so they don't want to have that either. They want more distance. Yeah. And, 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 and again, that, that can be a very hard thing too. It's like, you may not, some people, you may feel like I don't want to visit because they're like a, a, just a well of despair and they won't want me to leave. And so when you come to stay, stay with them for a time, you might want to say, I've, uh, I've got an hour that I want to devote entirely to being with you and helping in any way I can. And then I've got to go and do other things or, you know, however you d- describe the time frame that you're going to a lot, it can be helpful to set limits like that because otherwise you might avoid them entirely. Or if you're going to do it over zoom or do it over the phone, you can say, let's talk let's talk between this time and this time. And um, that would, it would be really great to be with you during that time. And you, you have the right to set limits. As you said, you have the right to care for yourself. You have to care for yourself or you're not going to be engaged with them. That's right. Cause it takes a lot of energy to sit with someone who is so sad mm-hmm. you know, or in pain um, or go and may be angry. You know, some people get extremely angry and that's kind of hard to take, you know, when you're, when someone's, they're not yelling at you, but they're just yelling, you mm-hmm. know, or they're screaming, um, or they crash and they're so incredibly sad and depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and j- just sitting, sitting there and acknowledging and being present is the best thing to do, but it takes a lot of energy out of the helper too, the person that's, that's sitting there. Yep. And, and just re- reflecting back, I can see that you're so, you're so angry at the veterinarian right now, or you're so angry at yourself right now. Yeah. It, 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 it looks like it's really painful to feel it, what you're feeling. 
I think that's a really good point is to, to point out, you know, to um, talk about or define the feeling. Because as you know, then the other person, wow, this, you know, my friend really understands what I'm going through. And that kind of helps, you know, dissipate it because there's a there's a feeling in that person who's who's crying or angry that they're understood. And that's that's not a good thing to do. And one of the things that, that I, I I know for myself and I know from working with you know working with many, many clients over a lot of, of time is that if you can give words to what your if you can give words to your emotions it gives you some degree of control, mastery, a bit of relief. It, it, makes, it makes what you're feeling a bit more manageable to be able to give words to it. And it, it also allows a person to, to the extent that they feel ready and able to do that, to examine their feelings. So if a person is furious at the veterinarian, you can, if you say to them, I can see how angry you are, after mm-hmm. that, there's something about that that then allows them to think a little bit about right. how angry they are, and 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 of course, when people are angry, there's a lot of stuff underneath that. I mean, anger usually has lots of components, lots of and and so it it's a it's a way to help a person to to begin to know and perhaps break apart a bit the most raw feelings that they're having. Yeah, and it's important too, because I was thinking as you were saying that, is some people don't even realize what what feelings they have. And then when you put a name to it, you go, oh my gosh, I am. You know, that there's a recognition that these, and these are real feelings, they're your feelings, they're legitimate. And and that's what the purpose is to help your friend validate those that, yeah, I mean, you are angry right now. Um, And that sometimes is relieving to people because they realize, oh, I guess I am, you know, and this this is what happened. Yeah. We tend to, when, when we're, when we've got a huge amount of emotion, that in and of itself can be so frightening and so almost like disorienting Mm -hmm. and to be able to parse it out even a little bit can, can be helpful. And one of the things that, that I think it's so important to do as well is to help people understand that if they're angry, if they're, if they're, if they're angry and they're angry at the, the illness of their pet, and their pet isn't behaving in a way that shows that they're getting better, that they, they want to be very compassionate toward their pet. I know that people sometimes get angry because their pet isn't eating right? or their pet is in fact doing worse. And one or, of the things- or is, or is, you know, defecating or urinating in the yeah, head. Yeah, it's lost, it's right. lost the ability to control their bowels or bladder. And it's it can be so useful to, and you know this is this is not the case all the time by any means, but it can be so useful to just remind the person that their their pet is doing the best they can. Yeah. They're doing the best they can, and they're and you know, whatever anger you have about them not eating or losing control of their of their ability to to be housebroken is is not something willful. 
It's it's right. it's the progression of the illness, the illness, progression of their disability, and so very very hard thing. And then it can also be it can be helpful for a person to ask if you'd like them to be if you, if they would like for you to be there when the pet is euthanized or when the pet seems to be at the very end. If you can manage that, if you your schedule and your other commitments will allow for that because accompaniment at that moment of transition can be really immensely supportive. Now, and and that person needs to understand what that process is like um, because it, it isn't always, especially with a, a death, a natural death, um, it could be somewhat difficult um, to watch. Yeah. Um, depending on the situation, depending on what the illness is, depending on the pet itself. Um, euthanasia is also, you know, it's it's hard it, to be with the person, but they also are going to see the animal die. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be really clear on that you are okay to, to help that, to help your friend during during those periods of time. Yeah, again, and it also would be if the person says, will wants you be it. there? Yes, wants it. They ask you, will you be there? And you don't think you can deal with that, then I think you have to say no. I, I, right. I'm going to have to pass on that. That's, mm -hmm. that's something that I, I don't feel comfortable. Although I'll be outside. I'll yeah. be outside the room, and and I'll, and you could come, and 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 we'll we'll yeah. be together afterwards, and yeah. I will help you through whatever you need to do. And uh, you can strategize on who will be there. Yes, right. For them, mm -hmm. you can help with that. But there, there's always this element of how do I make sure I take care of myself while I'm being loving and compassionate toward toward my friend or mm -hmm. toward. It might be a family member as well. Of course. Sibling. Yeah. This translates between animals and humans. You know. Oh, absolutely. 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 I mean, I, I I recall I was present at my father's death. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, you want to be present if you can be for a loved one's death, I think, because it's it's incredibly emotionally powerful mm -hmm. moment. And I missed my mother's death by a few minutes, actually. I was racing to get there from out of state. And um, yeah, we, you want to be present if you can, if you feel like you can, you can do that emotionally. Yeah, I think I just, we wanted to say that as a caveat because, you know, you can think, yeah, I'm going to go sit with, with my friend and then it, it can be very, I mean, there are situations where I know that, um, a person I was working with decided he wanted his animal to die naturally, but the animal started to get very, very sick. I mean, it was dying. And he got in the car and he tried to get his animal to the hospital. And the animal had a very agonizing death that yeah. he witnessed. Yeah. Uh, and that, I, I worked with him for a while. He just, could not get that out of his head, obviously. It was really hard. Yeah. So just to make sure that, you know, you know what you're walking into. Well, and and we'll, we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, and we've talked about it in previous conversations to some extent too, but 
it's always a good idea to have your veterinarian, a veterinarian whom you trust in the conversation about what the end is going to be, what the end is, how the end is going Mm -hmm. to come. And if you're the support person, you're a friend who is, wants to be very supportive to your friend whose pet is dying, you probably want to make that suggestion to mm-hmm. them. And you may need to suggest it a couple of times that you know, depend how how your animal dies is something you probably want to negotiate with your veterinarian. At least hear exactly. their their input and yes. take it to heart. Because I mean one of the things that I always want to think about is that euthanasia is an amazing gift. Yeah. When you think about how how some ends will come if there isn't euthanasia, right? And that's so right. That's something to really always be be thinking of. But uh, again, you know, we've talked about this as well. That you're probably going to feel guilt no matter exactly no matter how guilt how is it goes. Yep, the guilt is the hardest thing that hardest emotion that you'll work with 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 death. And that's that's a feel again. If person's talking about how they should have seen it should coming, they should have seen the signs of this illness before they did. And and the 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 thing that you can do is you can say that you under you understand that. And boy, that is just that's the way we always feel. Mm-hmm. You know, we always feel that way. It's, it's, norm- it's normalizing the guilt because ninety per ninety. Five percent of people have felt on some on some level after a death, a natural death, or euthanasia. Yeah, yeah. And especially and, with euthanasia, I did it too soon. I waited too long. Yeah, and that's always been the case. And and there's no answer for that. No, there's no answer. And and as we've said, the people who often are so burdened by guilt, when you hear their stories, you realize how incredibly loving and thoughtful and attentive they were because the, it, it stands to reason that people who are so conscientious in the care they give might feel like they've never done enough. And so it, it always occurs to me that when, when people feel very guilty, it's so important to help them see how all the things they did were so, so generous and so thoughtful and so engaged. And, and there's, there are limits. You cannot, you cannot fix what nature has ordained, right? I mean, you can't, you cannot take away death. You cannot, you can't, you can't fix an illness that is terminal. Yeah. So um, we can talk more about this, you know, and end of life. I think we're going to do an episode on that soon. Um, I know we're almost out of time, but I would like to acknowledge um, uh, anniversaries of three beloved dogs that um, of three lovely ladies that I think may be watching tonight. So I'm sending out, um, you know, warm, loving thoughts to Beretta and Stella Bean and Sparky. <laughs> That's great. 
That's great. Stay, they're, they're always with us, right? I mean, they're always with us. They're always yeah. with us. The relationship always us. is always going to be valuable and it's always going to be in our hearts. And they uh, they make a mark and they just give us so much. They give us so much and they never leave our hearts. Yeah. They're nestled in there now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll leave it there then, Nancy. Thanks so much for the conversation. And I look forward to speaking with you next as week. I always do next week. Next week. Yeah. Take care. Take care, everyone.